Welcome to the smart community. Smart region, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play. With smart communities, the future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hi, Smart Community friends. I'm back with another episode of the Smart Community Podcast that brings together multiple guest answers to the question, where to next for smart cities and communities? And this time, I'm sharing with you a range of answers from our guests this year. First, we have Charlie Hamer from episode 172, Courtney Ehrlichman from episode 181, Debbie Reynolds from episode 166, Jamie Leach from episode 171, and finally Luke Stowe from episode 173. The themes that come through in all of the guest answers are around sustainability of smart communities, but not just about the environmental perspective. These guests are focused on the sustainability of communities and of smart projects from the perspectives of sustainable funding, sustainable data-driven decision-making, and sustainable access to resources, be they global or local. Several guests make important points about the fact that without sustainable investment of actual dollars, many smart projects are unable to get off the ground or continue past pilot phases. This, of course, hurts communities, not only if they were benefiting from those projects, but also those who could have benefited had the learnings from ongoing projects been able to be shared and scaled across other communities. Then there's the critical topic of data being for public good and that we must be investing not only financially in data, but also the skill sets and mindsets needed to have privacy, security, and understanding of data so that we can really use it to drive decision-making and policy that benefits the community. And of course, fundamental to every smart community conversation is the fact that it's about sustainable access to resources, from transport to healthcare to food to manufacturing, Underpinning much of this is access to the internet, so that connectivity piece is crucial in preventing further digital divides. We also discuss the tension between the global and the local, and the balance between the need for self-sustainability and a village approach in local communities with the knowledge sharing and global collaboration that is necessary in our world today. We can have both. So the guests again, Charlie Hamer from episode 172, Courtney Ehrlichman from episode 181, Debbie Reynolds from episode 166, Jamie Leach from episode 171, and finally Luke Stowe from episode 173. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. So where to next for smart cities Mm. and communities? I mean, I think we touched on it a little bit earlier, and I think think it does... I mean, the great work that you do and, and sort of we feel like we can contribute a little bit towards it as well. And then, you know, co- colleagues across the world, like, sorry, like Adam Beck as well. I think they're pushing, you know, pushing the message still. I think there does still need to be some fresh energy in- injected into the movement, the smart communities movement across ANZ, whether that's, uh, as we saw from our survey recently, whether that is more funding from government to get these projects moving. I think when you speak to people at various different events, you know, everyone gets really excited when um, the sort of smart cities grants come around and, we, you know, there's a bit of money gets put into sort of prototypes and, and initial projects. But then when it kind of uh, get proof of concept, sorry, when then the money runs out and people can't really sort of take that project forward. And I think that comes back to 
making this real for some of the powers that be within councils and actually having some sort of real outcomes for the city, for the cities and the uh, citizens to continue to kind of to get that funding to drive these projects forward. I think, like I said, we, we kind of talked on, a, a, touched on a little bit. It's some, it feels like it is plateauing and waning a little bit, but I think a good, a, a little bit more money would always help. And like we talked about in Canada, they have chucked quite a bit of money at it. And I think it definitely has helped. I don't think money should be the be all and end all of, of a smart community. There's lots can be done without huge investment. I think some of the good stories I hear from the city of Casey was one of their wisest investments. A good guy, Warren Dean, I think he probably comes Warren, was I think he probably was one of their wisest investments in putting a, you know, some data science teams in place, which doesn't cost the earth. And just actually making sense of the data within a community and a society is you can, you can find out a lot of good stuff. You can do a lot of work if you can actually make sense of your data. I think that's a good starting point for people that don't have as much money. But yeah, I mean, there's, I think a bit more money always helps. Mm. Yeah, I, I think the it's like the sustainability of yes. the thing. And then I draw some parallels between, you know, startups and entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, seed funding can go, you know, a long way, but eventually it has to be sustainable in itself. Exactly. But that initial kind of, if we've got the will, but then we just need... And also, I think funding, what it does is makes it real again, you know, because there's a council and it has many a priority. It's not that they don't necessarily have money, but if you then get injection for this specific thing that's actually good and real and will make a difference, then yeah. we can actually focus on it a lot more. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Where to next for smart communities? Where to next for smart communities? Well, you know, for me, I really am hopeful that we are going to be using the more data. There's, you know, more, more startups coming up right now with these fantastic solutions to problems that we're facing. And I'm really hoping that the investment community, both policy and federal, you know, government investment and, and private investment, VC firms are going to invest in the data companies that are bringing the most value to our communities and really accelerating that so that we can make better decisions, more informed decisions faster, because that's essential right now. Yep, I agree. Um, I think we really need to start thinking about this as public good and I guess data being public good and being, you know, we think about it as part of our, you know, we think about like water as an essential service. And I think data and using data has to be it has to be incorporated into that um, into the future because otherwise we'll be missing you know such a huge part of our lives absolutely yeah i mean it is it's like our fingerprints right it's that's now it's our digital presence and it's um it's critical that we as citizens understand mm. how much value is there in our own data and, and how we're how it's being collected and what it's being used for so where to next for smart cities and communities? I think, you know, I'm excited about the future. I'm excited to see, you know, what technologies people are putting together to make other people's lives easier. Um, I think, you know, even though elections are cyclical, people are going to really be looking into that as they always do to try to improve how that uh, election security and authentication of sort of voting is going to be happening around the world. Transportation is really a huge issue uh, around the world. So how people get access to jobs, whether they're going to their job in terms of being able to get a car or a bus or a train, or how they access their job from home. 
school. So without commuting at all, but being able to, to have the digital assets and the access to be able to sort of do things like we do, where we can talk 17 hours apart on the internet. Not everyone has that capability. So being able to see that we can even the playing field in some way or shape or form by making sure that not only just big business, but municipalities and smart cities have access to the types of technology that are really going to help move the citizens forward in their lives. Mm. No, that's awesome. And yeah, I agree. And transportation and mobility is one of the areas, um, one of my key focus areas. So yeah, it'd be really interesting to see where we move in that space. And yeah, I think more that remote working and having access to digital digital assets is is a key component of that that we we don't talk about enough. I think. I agree. I agree. It's going to be interesting. So I think the next ten years is going to be a fascinating. Uh, 10 years, and I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with smart cities. I mean, we're not flying around yet like the Jetsons and cars, but who's to say that won't happen in 10 years? I don't know. Where to next for smart communities? Wow, I am a massive fan of what is happening um, in some of the other countries of the world. India, for instance, Modi has had an initiative through the Ministry of Housing and, and Urban Affairs to find a model, if you like, that can be replicated and scaled across a number of cities in the country. So we're seeing a very united approach to how they're trying to create a template. What I like about that is not necessarily saying that our federal government now has to own the responsibility of smart cities or smart communities, but there is, I think, a true value to those efficiencies of scale And by having that brains trust come together and examine some of the most difficult questions around, as you said, mobility, housing, healthcare, education, and also that digital infrastructure that can get laid underneath that makes it all possible over the next 5, 10, 15 years. If a roadmap can truly be formulated, I think that is going to start to see success you know, be replicated across multiple regions. Mm. I think it's really important to have that united roadmap and that regional approach, particularly in Australia where our regions are very spread out. But not every individual council have the resources to be able to have their own roadmap. But if we can then pull those things together and have that regional approach, then we can actually have those resources available. I think it's so important that I guess we we don't want to have a one approach because it will be different for each community, but to have those foundational pieces there that then we can all leverage off, I think is so key. The leveraging has to be there because otherwise it's just another technology project. Yeah, you know what? I think you've just hit the nail on the head. And if we if we really pull Australia apart, we have rural, we have regional, you then have large regional, you then have you know, suburban and and metropolitan, there are so many different factions. But traditionally, from the outside looking in, it feels like a number of them are all working not only in isolation but almost against each other when there's only been a single pot of funding, if you like, in a lot of cases. Mm. And I feel like it's such a tragedy that we can't in some way create that more united brains trust if you like we have so many amazing experts so many amazing 
academics and people with that real world experience like yourself that that could really bring a you know a, a new approach and, and at that pure research level you've got nothing to lose that you know collection of thoughts and process in the planning stage I think will be the difference between success and failure overall mm. and then if we really focus and we really commit to it real change can happen and I think mm. That's where we forget sometimes that, you know, the way we live our lives now is only possible through really massive changes happening that people before us would have never even, well, if they considered them, they probably consider the person saying them to be crazy. But, but like, you're right. Yeah. We, we forget sometimes that at the end of the day, the core to any of these smart communities, smart cities has to be a single citizen. It's got to be you know, the mother with her kids trying to get them off to school, the, the office worker who just wants to get reliable public transport into, you know, to their job, the, the factory worker. At the end of the day, there are so many stories in isolation that are truly the reason that we're looking at this. It's not about the glory or, you know, the title. It's got to be about the individual at the centre. Mm, absolutely. Where to next for smart communities? I think the prevalence of smart communities is going to be increased. You know, I, I sort of look at the community hubs and localization and, you know, sovereignty of states, uh, and I don't mean to be all political about that, but I think that this is going to be a, a really important conversation. We touched on globalization. I think globalization will be challenged through this next wave of conversation. Because just as important of coming out of the virus and, you know, making sure that we, you know, we, we flatten that curve and find treatments and find cures is going to be the economic development of countries, communities and states. And I think we need to really uh, think about smart communities in those contexts because I suspect that where we'll get to will be that we'll realise we've been, you know, someone told me the other day, I was talking about buying Australia uh, Australian and um, buying Australian local ICT services because that's my background and I'm passionate about it. And someone said, well, Luke, what do you what do you say? Like, should we just go into the supermarket and only buy Australian products? And I was saying, well, you won't find many because uh, we just don't manufacture that much here anymore. But should we? Should we have smart communities with their own manufacturing of vegetables? And you know, should people go back to that sort of way of living? At you know, not only technology, but should we? incorporate some of the more fundamental things into this smart community? I think so. And I think that we'll start to see much more of a dialogue about how we come out of this pandemic and the type of new normal we'll have for communities and, and smart communities. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting one, that local manufacturer and, and the ability to do that now these days, like, um, you know, with 3D printing and all those type of things. And I think there's there's definitely... Like there's going to be a, a complex mix and, and combination, but um, yeah, for that resilience of our, particularly I'm thinking regional areas, and um, what are the things that we could do locally? So then, you know, we make sure that those things are focused on and resourced now. And I think that we will start to focus on that a little bit more or a lot more given what, what the current circumstances have. But then also realizing that certain areas will have expertise in certain things and that we shouldn't discount you know, that we do get things from different places as well. So I think there's, yeah, it can be really interesting dialogue and conversation and complex models that will come out of this. 
of how we are really resilient as a, as a country and then as a community as well. Yeah. The, the concept of a castle with a big moat around it that protects you from everything, I think is finished. We now live in villages again, and villages are going to be really important to this conversation. That's my analogy. I think that villages all need to have their own smart setup about what this looks like for them and how are they catering for the health and well-being mm-hmm. and the livelihoods of the people in their little community, realising that there is no such thing as a protected wall anymore from anything, from not from a, a technology, not from a defence, not from a a livelihood point of view, this is all going to be about how do we make sure as individuals and as communities we are setting ourselves up for a sustainable future. I see that as being the new conversation. I really do. I saw this picture the other day is uh, of a city and then it had um, like the, the typical kind of smart city like bubbles with like the connections and the Wi-Fi and whatever else. And the alt text was rainbow over city. And I right. just thought... Like, and it was automatically generated, right? And I just thought, wow, that's so interesting and something. And I was like, oh, I guess for me, that's what it needs to be, right? It can't be this, like, like you said, like this wall around us that, we, you know, we and that technology is blocking us from something else or that it's taking over our world or whatever it should be seen. And, and the only way, you know, it's, it doesn't just automatically happen like that is the way that we shape it, right? And if we want it to be a rainbow, which is very... I guess, stardust and unicorn. Oh, I like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then we have to shape it, right? And, and you know, yeah, we, we have rain and we have storms and then we have the rainbow, but then, you know, we move on. And then, yeah, so I think this will be a really interesting time to give us that uh, blank canvas to move to the next stage. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I really like this conversation we're heading into now because I think this becomes really quite critical to smart communities moving forward. You know, I'd love to keep talking to you about it because I think this will become really part of a new concept that we all need to get our heads around in terms of, you know, even even eight weeks ago, the thought of, um, you know, me sitting here talking about the fact that a small community regional area in Australia is going to have to think about what they do now for self-sustainability. Uh, they probably would have thought about it in the context of, you know, maybe electricity or, you know, what am I going to do about making sure we've got the highway open. I'm talking more fundamental than that now. It's absolutely about their own community-based smart ecosystem where natural reserves, technology, you know, you talked about transport and logistics, all of these things are coming together to make a much more sustainable life for the people in that community. I think that's going to be really quite a critical dialogue. Mm. And then how we then connect with other communities as well. And, like, I think... Um, that global aspect, I think we can have, and, you know, maybe it's cake and eating it too, but I tend to do most, I tend to always think that way, that we can have both, you know, um, and they talk about globalisation and being localisation or whatever that term is, I can't remember, but, or glocalisation, I think I've heard oh, it before. Nice, I haven't heard that one before. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it, but, it, you know. <laughs> But that we can, you know, I live in Toowoomba and I have a, a global network that I can now, it's normal to connect with people. And I was just having a conversation with somebody who's in isolation in Hobart, actually. But I've also then had conversations with the, like tonight I'll have a conversation with a guy that's in Spain. Right. And we can have those conversations. And like I always had these conversations on the podcast and so maybe it's always been normal for me, but there's always been an agenda, right? I mean, even now we've, you know. Yeah. having an agenda whereas now because i've already got that connection now i can have just 
an unstructured conversation that's just a catch-up really and that what COVID has done is made that quite normal and I'm connecting with people much more than before uh, online because we're able to do that, right? And whereas before, you know, it was digital was kind of seen as a second-rate solution to connection. It was like, okay, well, I'm going to fly there, I'm going to see you in person and do all those things, which we will still do that, obviously, when we come out of this. But I think now digital has really come to the forefront and it's not going to be seen as second-rate anymore because it's actually the only option right now for, for most yeah. things. Yes. Um, and critical services as well. And that's where... And I know I'm banging on it, uh, going back to this digital divide, it has to be a human right because otherwise, you know, you're saying that that person doesn't deserve to get the information that they need. So, yeah, I think that will be a really interesting time moving to the next, moving to what's next for smart communities. It has to be that, well, smart communities are front of mind for, for everyone and that, that basic level of connection. And when I say basic, it still needs to be reliable. It still needs to be, you know, all the mm. things. But... If we don't have that, then we can't even have these conversations about fancy technology uh, because yeah. we're leaving out a lot of the population. I really think that's a really great principle because, you know, we've always, we've, we've got a massive country, you know, and we've always sort of thought that we all deserve the right to be connected. And I think that's been questioned over time. And I think this becomes much more important for us today. And it brings into question, you know, I, Again, don't want to be political, but it brings into question the NBN network rollout and it brings in 5G and it brings in all these conversations that we're yet to really understand and have around what is going to be the right premise for us to move forward on from a tech point of view in a country like Australia, which is so broad. How do we make this work for everyone and how do we start to engage in a much more authentic way? Part of what I loved about what you just said, which really appeals to me as a human being, is I think this creates a very authentic conversation. There's no script. There's no spiel that we're working on of how we're going to sell this story to everyone. We're just having a conversation. And the appeal to me is that that's real. I'm less interested in the spiel. I'm less interested in the doctored, scripted conversation because I think that narrative is now finished. I think as human beings, we're starting to see that that doesn't sort of fit in this new world, even in six weeks. I've, that's what my point was about. I've started enjoying watching people just have a bit of fun on LinkedIn and on Facebook where I'm listening to a story that's real. It's much more appealing for me than watching something which is scripted and it's a bit of a read out of, uh, you know, this week, uh, you know, this is brought to you by so-and-so technology and this is what we do and you should t- come and take a look at us. It mm. doesn't appeal to me anymore. So I think that this is going to be another part of this dialogue is, you know, I laughed what you said. I'm going to go talk to someone in Spain later on. We're just going to have a conversation. Hmm. But you know what? People will want to watch that. Hmm. They'll want to listen into that because it'll be, I think, more real for people to understand what's what's other people in my community, what are they thinking? Hmm. What are they talking about? Where's the narrative on these topics and uh, where do I get my source of information from where I don't feel like I'm being talked to in a way that is giving me a premise, a false premise or a false set of, you know, marketing campaigns. And, you know, to the government's credit of Australia, the first two weeks, I felt like it was pretty scripted. I I didn't feel like I was engaged as a person. I think I I felt like I was being talked to rather than engaged. And uh, in the last few weeks, I've really felt like that engagement style's changed. Yeah, there's still a bit of the gruff, you know, nature of, having to tell, you know, 24 million people you've all got to stay inside. But 
I think the effort that's been made to try and engage more with people has been very encouraging and I can just see that continuing to be part of the new norm. I don't think people will accept scripted conversation much, much further. Yeah, interesting topic in itself. The Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're trying to deal with disruption, not sure what technologies to buy, need to facilitate genuine collaboration, then we can help. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community forward slash consulting. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community slash podcast. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at smartcomhq. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.